That's what humility looks like, and that's what it gets us. Jesus, when he began what we came, has been called the Sermon on the Mount, began by specifically addressing the issue of humility and what are called the Beatitudes. Now, the term Beatitudes simply means blessings. And he's saying these are blessings that you will know in your life if you develop these specific characteristics. And humility is the first characteristic that he says we as the family of God need to develop and have the Lord grow in our lives. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Now, as Jesus gives these beatitudes, these ways of knowing his blessing in our lives, he uses what we call a rhetorical device called a paradox. And C.K. Chesterton so well said that a paradox is a truth standing on its head calling for attention. A paradox is a truth standing on its head calling for attention. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He presents truth literally almost like it's standing on its head saying, Look at me, listen to me, and what I'm trying to say to you. Now, Jesus brought this message we call the Sermon on the Mount in the first year of his public ministry. And in this particular time, he had crowds following him everywhere he went. So as this story is introduced, you'll see these crowds that are following him. If you look on the screen, you see a picture of what the mountain we think is where the Sermon on the Mount took place. And there's tons of pictures on the internet if you go there. But it is a very, very large area and it slopes down to a body of water that's in the foreground there, very famously known as the Sea of Galilee in the uh, New Testament writings. And so Jesus would have gone up on this mountain, and there he would have sat down, and he would have begun to teach. It talks about a crowd coming to him. You can see by the size of the landscape there, it would have accommodated, in addition, of course, to the disciples, Tons of folks that could have been there that day. And so they sort of worked to his advantage to teach from there. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paradox number 1. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the next paradox, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is what I need you to do as we move through this. He uses some terms here that seem confusing to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. So to take your understanding of poverty and your understanding of mourning here and lay them aside because what Jesus is driving at here is a bit different than what we would tend to interpret from our own cultural backgrounds as to how he's using these words. Now, notice how Jesus sets this up. Verse 1, it says that seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down. Now, the posture of sitting down was a way in that day and age of communicating to the crowd that was in front of you. If you were a rabbi, I'm getting ready to teach. It's time for you to get quiet and to listen. They didn't have amplifiers or any kind of sound systems in those days, so he couldn't tell them to sit down and be quiet. So what he did was they understood that when the teacher sat down 
Everybody got silent. He was about to teach, and he listened. And most of the teaching and preaching that went in those days was done from a sitting position, not a standing position, because, again, that sitting position was communicating to people the rabbi's teaching, and you need to listen to what he's about to say. The disciples see Jesus go up on this mountain. They see him sit down. That communicates to him he's about to teach. He's about to say something important, so we need to listen. And my message outline is containing your bulletins. I encourage you to follow along as we move through this. Now, I know this sounds basic, but look what it says. His disciples came to him. They saw him on the mountain. They saw him sit down, and they came to him to listen. Now, they had already come to him previously. In other words, they had already made a decision that we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to listen to what Jesus has to teach. But this day they come again. You see, following Jesus is not about coming on one occasion. It's not just about a decision that we make in life at one time. It is coming over and over and over again to Him. It is listening to Him over and over and over again. They understood that the first day that they made the decision to follow Him was the first day of many days of following Him and listening to Him. And so when they saw Him that day, they said, Hey, He's getting ready to teach again. We need to listen to what He's got to say. Now, Jesus, through these Beatitudes, and again, that's a term that means blessing. He opens each one of them by saying, blessed are. And then he describes who's going to be blessed and what the blessing is going to be. But what is the concept of this blessing? We use the term, you know, bless you. And someone says, I got a blessing. What does it mean when Jesus says you're going to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed by Jesus? And what does it mean for us to know the blessing of the Lord when we live out these character traits? Well, the word there, blessed, means to be approved. It is the idea that of what God thinks of us, that God looks at our characteristics, He looks at our character, He looks at the way we're living our lives, and He approves of the way that we are living our lives. Now, a lot of us sit there and listen to that and we think, oh man, if the Lord looked at my life and the way I'm living my life, I don't think He's going to be looking there with a smile on His face and being real approving of it. So Jesus says here, all right, this is the kind of lifestyle, the kind of disposition, the kind of attitude that I want you to have. And when I see that, I'm going to look at your life and I'm going to approve of it. I'm going to bless it. I'm going to be happy about it. It is sort of like this. You know, when children look at their parents, what do they think? Man, I want my parent to approve of me. I want my parent to accept me. I want my parent to love me. Children and little children will bring things to their parents to be accepted by them, try to get them to point out their behavior. That's sort of the idea behind this, that we carry out an attitude, a lifestyle, characteristics in our lives that our Heavenly Father looks at us, and He says, I approve of that, I accept that. You're getting it going. That's the idea of positioning our lives to be blessed, to be approved by Him. Now, when God blesses in response to what He's saying here, he, the blessing means that His strength replaces weakness in our lives. His strength replaces weakness in our lives. As we move through these Beatitudes, we're going to see that each of the places that are identified by Jesus as a place of weakness in our lives, He is going to bless us by replacing it with His strength. And it is the strength, in this particular case we're going to see today, of being in the kingdom of heaven. We'll talk about that in a moment. And it is the strength 
of receiving his comfort. And again, we'll talk about that in a moment. It is the idea of being blessed by him, of being in close fellowship, friendship with him. And being blessed by him also means that he develops our character. Blessing, follow me on this, the blessing that Jesus pronounces with each of these is not like God walks up to us and just dumps some ethereal blessing on us. We don't really understand it, don't really know what it is, but he just sort of dumps a blessing on us and we get this blessing that we can't really figure out and walk around with it holding it. That is not what he's talking about here. It's rather he looks at our lives, he says, man, you're trying, I really want to bless you for what you're doing. I approve of what you're doing. I'm going to come alongside of your life here. I'm going to take specific areas of weakness in your life and I'm going to work my strength into those areas. I'm going to build my strength into those areas of your life. With specificity, I'm going to build my strength into those areas of your life so that those areas of your life begin to meet my approval and you begin to move forward in a relationship with me. Now, I can't stress this enough. Each one of these Beatitudes is a way that he wants to develop and grow our relationship with him. They are not some kind of cold character traits that we slavishly try to get into our lives. Everything that the Lord does in our lives is begins and ends and flows all over the place of relationship. He's trying to develop and grow relationship with Him in our lives, and that's what He's going to be after here. Now, let's look at the first one. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It does not mean that you are blessed if you are poor. Okay, that's not what he's driving at here. What does he mean by poor in spirit? It does not mean, and the idea here is not that you walk around with an eternal inferiority complex. That the better job you can do of beating yourself up, the more God is happy and pleased with your ability to beat yourself up. That's not what he's saying here. Poor in spirit. The word poor there literally means, in the language of its day, to be a beggar. It is the idea of going to somebody and begging them for something that you are totally destitute and you were going to somebody and you were begging them. I remember years ago when I was in Washington, D.C. on a mission trip, they told us we were going to do something called poverty assimilation. And it's a nice term and sounded all fancy, but I found out the hard way what poverty assimilation is. Before they released us out on the streets of D.C., they said, take all the money out of your pocket. Take your billfold, whatever, keep it, let it stay here at the church. Take your wristwatch off. We had to take your wristwatch off. They said, dress really plain. Then they gave us a list of things that we had to do for the next two hours because we had to basically live the life of a homeless person. And the first thing we had to do is go try to bum a nickel off of somebody. Uh, the next thing we had to do was try to find a homeless shelter where we could spend the night, find a meal. I tell you, it was assimilation big time because I felt extremely humble. You had to go ask somebody what time it was because you had nothing on you to indicate that you could figure out what time it was. And I, I found that I got real, real humble real, real fast. Wandering around in places in D.C., I didn't have a clue as to where I was at trying to follow some of the directives. And I, I couldn't even bring myself to ask for money because I was just so almost humiliated by it. It was, it was being put in the position of a beggar. And they were trying to get us to understand what it's like to be in poverty. Well, what he talks about here is that deep inside of us, we understand in relationship with, to God that we don't go into the presence of the Lord 
throwing ourselves around and bragging to Him about who we are. That when we go into the presence of the Lord, we have to shed our pride, we have to get rid of all of our self-dependence, and we have to stand silent before the Lord, and we have to listen to Him. Stand silent before the Lord and listen to Him. That we say to Him, Lord, this is not about me. This is totally about you. You see, when I go before the Lord and all I do is talk to God about me, it means I'm full of myself and empty of Him. It means I'm not listening. Can you imagine having a conversation with somebody and as soon as you finish talking on the phone with them, you hang up the phone before they can even say a word back to you? Have you ever had somebody do that to you? Ask you questions, tell you about their day, and then before you could say hardly anything, goodbye, and hang up the phone? That's the way a lot of times our prayer lives work. We give God the, the whole nine yards, and then we hang the phone up on Him before we can even say anything back to us. Poor in spirit says, Lord, I really, really need to be silent. I really need to listen. I don't have the answers. And I'm not just going to blab out to you what I think the answers are or just tell you all the problems. I'm going to stand in your presence totally dependent on you and listen to what you've got to say to me. And I'm going to listen as long as I need to listen. And I'm going to listen as long as... As you're speaking. And I'm going to listen even to the silence. Because God moves and speaks through silence. I know that sounds like a weird contradiction. Have you ever needed somebody to hug you? But you didn't need them to say anything. You just needed them to be with you. Sometimes we're all fussing at God because He doesn't speak and God is saying you need my companionship more than you need more verbiage in your ear. That's why I'm being quiet. I'm silent. Find me in the silence. And this idea of being poor in spirit is just saying, God, however you want to speak to me, wherever you want to minister to me, however you want to pour into my life, whatever you want to do, I'm just going to be silent before you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to let you do whatever needs to be done. I'm going to let you to develop my character any way you want to develop my character. I'm going to let you point out how my character needs to be developed. And I'm going to be, Lord, in fellowship with you. That hymn the choir began with, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Lord, I recognize that all the other places I've been trying to stand are sinking sand. So I'm just going to stand on you. And in so doing, I'm going to discover how solid you are. And notice what Jesus says the promise is. If we take that, if we are 
silent before him, listening to him, begging from him. Then he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. What in the world is he talking about? Yours belongs to you, first person, possessive pronoun. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what in the world is the kingdom of heaven? The Gospel of Matthew interchanges the word kingdom of God with kingdom of heaven. What is a kingdom? In a kingdom, you got three things. You got a king. You got subjects of the king. And you got the place where the king rules. That's all you got to have to have a kingdom. So a kingdom is the king, the subject of the king, and where the king rules. So when Jesus says you're going to have the kingdom of heaven, what is he saying? First of all, he's saying you're going to have a king, and I am the king. Where is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom is anywhere the king is. Follow me on this. The kingdom is anywhere the king is. So wherever King Jesus is, there's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not floating up in the sky somewhere in the clouds that we will get to in the sweet by and by, okay? The kingdom of heaven is anywhere Jesus is. Because the king's there, so that's where his kingdom is. Second, the kingdom of heaven is being around those who are his subjects. It's being his subject and it's being around those who are following him, serving him and following him. And finally, the kingdom of heaven is wherever the work of God is going on. So when I get humble before the Lord and I'm listening to the Lord and I'm silent before him and I begin to move with him, what he begins to do in my life is he gets me in touch with what he's doing in me. He gets me in touch with what he's doing around me and he begins to transition us into moving with him in what he is doing and that is the idea of inheriting the knowing the kingdom of God now let me illustrate it this way in that video that you all saw as the message opened today when that son gets out of the car and he walks up to his dad and he and his dad stand there and he looks into his dad's eyes he is in experiencing the presence of his dad, the acceptance of his dad, the love of his dad. But the story doesn't stop there because if that video had continued, what would have happened? He and the dad would have begun walking around the farm together. He would have begun to join the dad and what the dad was accomplishing on the farm. He would become part, if you will, of the kingdom of his dad. And that is the idea that Jesus is communicating here, that we are accepted by him, loved by him, joined and embraced by him, but it's not then for us to say, well, this is great, and we turn around and walk away. The idea of the kingdom is, Lord, what are you doing on your farm, and how can I be part of this? We go work beside him, serve him. We experience life together. You get the idea of all that kind of stuff. This is going to be a crazy illustration, but follow me. When I used to go down on that farm in Gretna, and I hung out down there with my cousins, etc., we did all kinds of fun things together. I used to love to slop the hogs down there. I don't know why I got such a kick out of hog slopping, but I used to love to go with my grandmother and slop him hogs and smell that cornmeal and watch him hogs get into it and lap that stuff up. They made it look so good you wouldn't have for lunch. And, you know, get down in there with them. And I enjoyed doing that. And then we'd go down to the creek in the back, and they'd go after the crawdads and so forth. But follow me on this. The deal was not just doing the stuff. It was who I was doing it with. I love that farm because I got to hang out with my cousins and hang out with my relatives and do that stuff. 
It wasn't the idea of just walking on the farm saying, hey, I'm a member of the family. I'm on the farm. It was getting out there and doing it with them. And that's the idea of being in the kingdom. It's getting out there and doing it. And when God tells us it's time to slop hogs, and we don't want to slop hogs, and it stinks to slop hogs, and you got to do some stuff to serve the Lord that looks like slopping hogs. It's not about slopping the hogs. It's about who you slopping the hogs with. And slopping the hogs with Jesus is good because it's with Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here when he says, be it in the kingdom. Y'all never thought I could get slopping hogs and Jesus in the same sentence, did you? The other idea, let me illustrate it, is this way. If you've ever played sports, we'll talk basketball. When you walk on that court, you can either have your game plan or the coach's game plan. You can either play on your own or you can play doing your own little solo thing. Now, if you do it on your own and play your solo thing and don't listen to your coach's game plan, it's not going to be fun. I used to work basketball ministry in uh, Chesapeake. My coach used to go nuts at the games because the boys always wanted to get on that free throw line and go for three points, and they missed them 95% of the time. And I used to hear him yell, drive to the basket, drive to the basket, because they just wanted to do their own little thing and get their three points, which he knew they were going to miss instead of driving to the basket and being secure in two points. And what he's saying here is when you get on the court, you recognize that the kingdom of heaven means you're on a team. You're not a solo act. And you follow your coach's game plan. You don't come up with your own game plan. So when he tells you drive to the basket, you don't stand back and throw three points so you can get all the glory. You follow whatever the coach does so that the coach gets the credit for winning the game with his game plan. That's this idea here when he talks about you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, verse 4. He says, those who mourn will be comforted. Now, what Jesus is not talking about is walking around with a bunch of tissues in your hand trying to find reason to cry all day long. Okay, that is not what he's, he's speaking of here. The idea of this mourning is contrition over our sin. It is contrition of really being concerned about, upset about sin in my life. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for this, they shall be comforted, this is what he's trying to say. He's trying to say our lives with sin are like this rope. They're just all twisted and messed up. And what he begins to do is we mourn over our sin. And mourning over my sin means that I take my sin as seriously as he takes it. I don't belittle it. I don't live in denial of it. I don't say it's no big deal. I take it as seriously as he takes it. And then I begin to invite him to untangle the mess that I have made of my life because of my sin. My sin is just basically blowing the Lord off and doing my own thing in my own way. Now... I'm going to ask Tom if he'll come up here and help me illustrate this. Because this is what the Lord does. This is like our lives with sin, all tangled up in this. And Tom's going to take one in, and this is what he begins to do. The Lord begins to work to straighten our lives out. So that he untangles the mess that we are in, 
and we've created through our sin. And this idea in part here of being comforted is as we mourn, as we say, God, forgive me. God, I want to come clean on this. Lord, I want you to straighten my life out. That he begins to straighten our lives out. That's the idea in part of being comforted. Now, I want you to notice one thing about this. When he was all bunched up, it was in a mess. Now that it is in a straight line, it's got direction to it. Follow me. It's got direction to it. It's headed in a direction. When he straightens us out, what he's doing is he's giving our lives direction. He's giving our lives purpose. Now, Tom, come a little bit closer because what I want to do is I want to take this end and fold it to this end so that they are paralleling each other. This idea of being comforted, the word comfort means to come alongside of, okay? So what he does is he, we begin to mourn. We begin to say, Jesus, cleanse me, forgive me. I'm going to say, agree with you about my sin, what you're saying about my sin. He comes alongside of us so that we are not only getting straightened out, but we are in close relationship with him. So that this comfort is him coming alongside of us and building into us and walking with us in life. So this is not something we're just trying to do on our own. Thanks, Tom. Is This is not something that we're trying to do on our own. Rather, he is comforting us by coming alongside of us in the struggle with sin or whatever it else it is that we are struggling with. So what I do is I don't go into some kind of hopeless despair and say, Lord, my life's a mess like this, and I'm just giving up on it because I can't get it unknotted. Just like, you know, you probably like me, you give up on trying to unknot the knots like from Christmas tree lights or whatever. You just give up after a while and throw them out the back door, etc. Saying a few nice words as they go out the back door. Uh, that's not the idea. The idea is, the Lord, this is a mess, but God, you are going to straighten this thing out. And the way, God, you straighten this out, wherever my life needs to be straightened out, however it needs to be straightened out, Lord, you're going to come alongside of me. And this comfort is that he comes alongside of us and stands with us in the confusion and the frustration and the mess. And he says, I'm going to walk alongside of you and I'm going to straighten it out. Just like that dad in that video begin to walk alongside of his son, even so he walks alongside of us as he straightens it out. And that is the idea of being comforted by him when we mourn and we grieve and we get really honest with God about our sin. Look at the screen, if you will.
us pray. Lord God, thank you that you accept us and you welcome us. And Lord, if we will mourn, you will comfort us. And Lord, if we will come to you humble, poor in spirit, you said yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, today we want to join you in what you're doing. We want to know what it is for you to straighten our lives out and for you to walk alongside of our lives. And so, Jesus, that's how we come to you this day. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've been watching or listening here, in this day you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to, to come home to Him. He's waiting for you. The sheets are out there welcoming you as it was in that video, that I want to encourage you to say this day to him, Jesus, I will follow you. I will serve you. Lord, I will embrace you. Please embrace me. If you need to come to him and just begging him and saying, Lord, today I need to start just spending some time in your presence, in silence, listening to your voice. Even listening, Lord, in a silence, bathe in your presence, then I will do that this day. Lord, we bless you. With our heads bowed, if you're here today as we sing in just a moment and you need to give your life to Christ or someone to pray with you, we invite you to come. I'd love to pray with you. And if you're listening to us through Facebook, we encourage you to get in touch with us so that we can minister and pray with you in any way possible. Jesus, we thank you in your name. Amen. Let's stay.